Well, ancient Israel arrogantly trusted their own work and their own ideas. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. And I'm Jim. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Thank you for joining us on this day. We go through the Bible every year today. Hosea chapter eight. This is a really good one. We're going to talk about this and study it and teach it today in about five minutes time. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey. I'm focusing in on Hosea chapter 10 and Hosea's mention of Samaria. Ryan. Today, I'm finishing my brief overview of the minor prophets, which includes Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Wow. That's very interesting, Ryan. The minor prophets, not minor in content, but minor in the size of the content. Janice. It's our Friday wrap-up question. So today I'm going to ask a question to Ryan and Corey and pose it to you at home as well. Anywhere from Daniel chapter 3 to Hosea chapter 11. It's all of our reading from the past week. Hosea 8, 1 through 14. Set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel will cry to me, My God, we know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves, that they might be cut off. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? For from Israel is even this. A workman made it, and it is not God but the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud. It shall never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure. For they have gone up to Assyria, like a wild donkey alone by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Yes, though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them, and they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes. Because Ephraim has made many altars for sin, they have become for him altars for sinning. I have written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his Maker and has built temples. Judah also has multiplied fortified cities, but I will send fire upon his cities, and it shall devour his palaces. Hosea chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. Hosea chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11. 
Now, how is it possible that Israel forgot who their God was? In actuality, they didn't really forget. It's just that they moved their beliefs slowly away from him through years. God had put his law in place along with well-documented signs and wonders to help the people remember. Escaping Egypt was one of those signs. When God told them to remember their history with him through yearly feasts and festivals, it was a command, not a suggestion. Now, in the New Testament, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us this, quote, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. The question we should ask ourselves is, how do we teach what the Lord taught? It's only one way, and that is reading and knowing the Bible. And how we learn the Bible, and that's what we learn Christ taught, is very important. And so, it helps us to teach it as well. As we focus on this today, very, very important. I would suggest that we keep our minds tuned to the Word of God. Take your Bible guide and turn to September 1, turn to the day's passage. As we focus on this, I think you'll find it interesting because I called this forgotten. Forgotten. That's what the best way to say it. Hosea 1, 8, 1 through 14. 14 verses here. And we need to pay attention to that. If you don't have a Bible guide, you can call us or write to us and we'll send it to you or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on it. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for donations. And then you will be able to download it as we printed it for your computer and follow us along in reading and understanding what God said. It's not important what I say. <laughs> it's important what God says. So we're going to read the Bible. We're very committed to the word of God here. Father, I pray today, as we look at this, that you would help us to understand and see how important it is for us to remember. We have to remember you, Lord. If we don't remember you, it's no good. We have to remember. We need the mind of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would draw people in, that you would bring us close to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen. Now, with that in mind, look at this really important Hosea verses eight or chapter one, verses one through six. Set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel will cry to me, my God, we know you. Israel has rejected the good. And the enemy will be pursued, will pursue him. And they set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. 
My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? For from Israel is even this. A workman made it, and it is not God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. God does not acknowledge the idols Israel had made with their money. Beloved, our success and security does not come from our money. It comes from God, the Father and the, the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, his Son. One God in three persons, it comes from him. And doing what he says and fulfilling how he has told us to go. Beloved, we need to pay attention to that. Remember, Israel was extremely successful financially, and then they hit the ground, man. Assyria came in. They were gone. That's exactly what happens when people get the wrong message, and they presume that because they're so successful, God's blessed them. Not necessarily the case. Boy, we got to pay attention to this, because God is speaking in chapter 8, verse 7. He says, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud. It shall never produce a meal. If it should produce, strangers would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed. Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey alone by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Yes. Though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them and they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes. Because Ephraim has made many altars for sin, many altars for sin. They have become for him altars of sinning for sinning. And I have written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. Wow, that's amazing. Israel arrogantly trusted in their own work and put false hope in their idols. Our hope must be in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We must learn to trust him, not trust in the dollar, not trust in the things we have. Trust in God, beloved. That's, by the way, what the dollar says. All the United States money says, in God we trust. I think they had a reason for putting it there. 13 to 14. For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrificed flesh and eat it. But the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt for Israel has forgotten his maker and has built temples. So Judah also multiplied fortified cities, but I will send fire upon his cities and it shall devour his palaces. If Israel had forgotten God, Israel had forgotten God. We must always remember Jesus Christ is Lord and our Lord. Beloved, we must always remember it is Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings who sustains us. We must remember that. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to hear this. 
Help us, oh, today, Lord, help us today to understand that you're our Lord. It's not our money and our secret bank accounts, our finances. Lord, it is you. And because of you, we can continue. Because of you, we exist. And because of you, we will tell others who you are. In the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we said together, amen. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. I want to highlight something that Hosea chapter 10 speaks on today. And, and it's, I mean, these are judgment passages. So they're not presenting a really nice view of Northern Israel and its capital city of Samaria. I mean, when you just look at the first two verses of chapter 10, Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospers, he adorned his sacred stone. So this is talking about the idolatry of Northern Israel. Uh, when we jump down to verse five, the capital city of Northern Israel is brought into it. The people who live in Samaria fear for the calf, calf idol of Beth Avon, which means house of wickedness. It's a pun, it's a play on words. Instead of Bethel, house of God, Hosea has changed it to Beth Avon, house of wickedness. Let's focus first on the city of Samaria and its history and archeology, span and then we'll unpack some of this. First Kings 16 tells us that Omri ruled as king of Israel for six years in the city of Tirzah. Then deciding on a move, he bought the hill of Samaria and built on it a fortified city that became the new capital of the Northern nation of Israel. Samaria, as we have it today, has been excavated twice, revealing that King Omri's original palace was used not only through the time period of the kings, it appears to have survived the Assyrian takeover in 721 BC. The Assyrians, after a long siege, must have exercised great restraint in not destroying the city or palace. Instead, they added insults to the injury of their conquest, installing their governor in the old palace of the kings, a symbol of utter defeat for the Israelites. The palace then, without much improvement, lasted through the empire takeovers of Babylon, Persia, and into the Hellenistic Age. During the Hellenistic period, the city was eventually destroyed and abandoned, but it was later rebuilt by the Romans, and famously by Herod the Great, who built a temple to Caesar Augustus on top of Omri's old palace. Omri's palace occupied the very summit of the hill, the most prestigious place in Samaria. Partially preserved by Herod's temple, Omri's palace was built on a large square rock platform that he had made by carving away all the extra rock. It was a 13-foot high platform that was climbed via monumental staircase. 
Researcher Dr. Rupert Chapman believes that Omri built his palace in the style of what's called a window house. This means the palace would have filtered you into the throne room by way of a pillared, covered courtyard and grand doorways. The throne room would have been large, possibly two stories tall with a raised center roof whose windows let in light. He also believes that palaces like these had a type of balcony window out of which the royals could present themselves to the people. Interestingly, a pit was found during excavations that contained ivories from the original palace. They're beautifully carved with animals, trees, plants, gods, and more, revealing why the palace was called the Ivory House. One ivory is carved with a known motif, the woman at the window. So we know from history that Samaria and Northern Israel was taken over by the Assyrian Empire. And, and we see in Hosea 10, and I read to you before, the people who live in Samaria fear for the calf idol of Beth Avon. Its people will mourn over it, and so will its idolatrous priests. And we jump down to verse 6. It will be carried to Assyria as tribute for the great king. This is a smack in the face. It's not calling the king of Samaria a great king. It's calling the pagan king of Assyria a great king. Ephraim will be disgraced. Israel will be ashamed of its foreign alliances that have obviously come to nothing. Samaria's king will be destroyed, swept away like a twig on the surface of the waters. Why that's an insult is because the kings of Israel saw themselves as trees. David saw himself as a tree. The Assyrian kings saw themselves as great trees in the house of God. And yet the king of Samaria is called a twig on the surface of the waters. So this is a reversal of many of the ideas that were going on in Samaria because of their wickedness and their apostasy. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. That's something else. Okay, Ryan. Okay, so in continuation of our study from yesterday, I wanna conclude with a final summary of the 12 minor prophets. Who were they? When did they live? To whom did they prophesy? Answering these questions really helped put their books and their lives in context. Now, if you remember, on yesterday's program, we already talked about Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah. And today we finish off with Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Micah and go through each of the remaining prophets book by book. Although the last 12 books of the Old Testament are attributed to men we call minor prophets, this does not refer to their importance, but rather to the length of their ministry and books. In fact, these men were critically important instruments of God. One of these key prophets was Micah of Moresheth. Known as the poor people's prophet, he ministered in the days of kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He preached to both the northern and southern kingdoms, and like Amos, Micah came from the rural countryside. So while the prophet Isaiah was in Jerusalem addressing the king and international affairs, Micah was a country prophet who was deeply sensitive to the social issues that affected the small towns and villages throughout Judah. Following Micah is Nahum. Though no specific date is given for his book, it is probably safe to assume that he prophesied during the middle of the 7th century BC. Nahum has been called the poetic prophet because his prophecy is written in the form of a poem which describes the sacking of Nineveh. As a matter of fact, Nahum is a sequel to Jonah. Over a century earlier, Jonah had preached against Nineveh, who at that time repented. However, by this time, they had again returned to their evil ways, 
and though God sent them Nahum, this time they did not listen. Habakkuk, another of God's faithful prophets, ministered sometime before the fall of Judah in 586 BC, possibly in the late 7th century. Although rebellious and wicked Judah thought it unthinkable that God would allow his temple to be taken, God informed his prophet that if they didn't repent, he would certainly destroy it. Shortly thereafter, Babylon invaded. Habakkuk could be called the praying prophet because the central theme of his book is wrapped up in his final prayer of chapter 3, and his book implies that he wrestled long hours with God in prayer. Zephaniah, one of the last of the pre-exilic prophets, ministered during the reign of the godly Judean king Josiah. In fact, he most likely had a tremendous influence on Josiah and spurred on his great reforms. Zephaniah was probably also the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. If so, then Zephaniah and Josiah were related. Following the return of the Israelites to their land, we find the prophetic duo of Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai prophesied for just four months in the year 520 BC, while Zechariah preached from 520 to 518 BC. Many scholars believe Haggai's ministry was so short because of his great age. Haggai chapter 2 verse 3 might suggest that he had seen Solomon's temple before it was destroyed, which would make him at least 70 years old at the time of his prophecy. But now the Jews had been back from the Babylonian exile for almost 20 years, and they still hadn't rebuilt Jerusalem's temple. So Haggai and Zechariah worked together to inspire the people to finish it. The final prophet of the Old Testament is Malachi, whose writing is dated to sometime after 450 BC. Because Malachi simply means messenger of the Lord, it isn't known whether this was the prophet's actual name. Nevertheless, his book is a fitting ending to the Old Testament because it summarizes Israel's sins, calls them to a further repentance, and points them to the coming Savior. Okay, so that concludes our study of the 12 minor prophets. And as I mentioned at the end of the segment, Malachi perfectly caps off the Old Testament. Think about it. The Old Testament opened with a man in the garden, free from sin and happy in his creator. But it closes with fallen man, miserable and unhappy under a curse. Now, had the Bible closed on that scene, we would be living in a dark and despairing world. But thank God there is a New Testament that tells of a Savior who redeems mankind unto himself. A loving Christ erases the miserable failures of man. Thank God our Bible doesn't end at Malachi. And it's important to also note that uh, in all of the prophets and several of the places in the, in the law, in fact, back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, God speaks about the coming of Jesus Christ. He speaks about it and tells him about it. Isaiah 7, 14, he tells how he's going to be moored from a virgin. Mm. Micah chapter 5, he tells where he's going to be born. It's just very interesting. And then, so the Old Testament, which I like to call the original Testament, um, the original Testament has all of that. The New Testament defines it. And he comes and it gives a, an example of uh, where he is. Where, this month is going to be interesting because we're getting into the New Testament as well. We are. Corey, this is the weekend. It is the weekend. What do you do? And that means Bible Discovery's the weekend show. Uh, it airs, uh, it get, gets released, I should say, on my YouTube channel, which is my name, Corey Babechko, and my husband, Matlock, and I, sometimes you guys join too. Uh, we talk about issues that pop up as we're reading through the Bible this year, and we also discuss viewer questions and aim to answer viewer questions. So if that interests you, check us out on YouTube. Join us in the comment section there. We like going back and forth with you about different ideas, so it's pretty fun. 
Very good. Look forward to that. All right. Uh, now, here comes the super question, the big one. <laughs> the the big one, one that's going to take <laughs> us all down. We'll see. Oh, I don't know. I think, well, we'll just move forward. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I won't give any commentary on it. I'll just, I'll just hit it. Since we're in the minor profits, is it a minor question? Like, or is it a little one? It's a major question possibly. in the minor profits. <laughs> is it an easy one? I guess, I think for you two, it will be very easy. If this is your first time through the Bible, it's okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. If you get it wrong, that's all right. Because next time somebody asks you this question, you'll get it right. That's how I learn. There you that. go. It's the way there to learn. There you go. It's the great, it's the best way to learn. All right. So, even when threatened to be thrown into the fiery furnace for disobeying the king's command, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the image King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. In anger, the king commanded that the furnace be heated up how many more times than usual. He was not happy. Did he want that furnace heated up seven times hotter? Did he want that furnace 10 times hotter? Or did he want that furnace 20 times hotter? How angry was King Nebuchadnezzar? How many times? And don't be given its number. Yes. We already knew. And you, I can, I can hear things happening behind me. Shame. Or shame. Just for the record, we already we already knew, Dad. <laughs> oh my goodness. Just it's so funny. And, Here, go ahead. And you have people at home that don't want to know. They don't want to see your signals because they truly want to. But here's the thing just guess. listen. Then bow your head and listen. Oh, bow your heads. <laughs> You're like, just don't watch. Just <laughs> why don't you sit on your hands? Then that's fabulous. Perhaps I only anyway, did that like, once. Just don't watch. Yeah. So without further ado, mm-hmm. <laughs> was it turned up seven times hotter, ten times hotter, or twenty times hotter? How hot was it? Yeah, we're gonna go with seven times seven. hotter. Seven times Absolutely. hotter. All right. So those of you at home. You can open your Bible. can be an open book test. I'm going to read you the answer. Of course, this is coming from the book of Daniel. Daniel 3, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. So if you guessed seven, you are absolutely right. Good for you. If not, try again. Remember that we are on Rumble with our live stream and our program. So join us on Rumble. It's a great uh, social media network. And uh, all of the programs we do here, we put on the live stream. So I look forward to seeing you there at Rumble. In the meantime, let's pray. Father, I, I am reminded of the greatness and the wonderful things you have done for all of us. Help us to remember, Lord, it's you 
It's none of our things. It's you who makes us right and makes us well. In Jesus' name, amen.